hockey fans. Listen up. Playoffs are nearing its conclusion, and it's almost time to shave off your playoff beards. But to properly take care of your beard, you should head over to norsebeards.com where they offer an assortment of all-natural beard products. Their beard oil, beard balm, and beard wash will keep your beard clean, soft, healthy, and smell great. Use the promo code OCS to get 25% off your beardsman needs. Don't miss this great opportunity. Make sure you visit norsebeards.com today. Ice Cold Takes listeners, we finally reached episode 100. And I just have to say thank you to all my listeners and supporters, everyone that's listened every single week. You guys know who you are. I couldn't have done this without you guys. And, you know, I'm just so happy to have reached this milestone. The podcast is going to continue to grow. We're going to keep producing episodes, maybe talk about the Mets, maybe talk about some football later. But we're still going to be pushing for Kevin Weeks. You're more than welcome to help me push for that. I'm just so happy to share this achievement with everybody. And I'm going to continue doing the podcast. More things to come in the future, for sure. And I should also add that we're still going to be giving away a jersey today on Saturday, June 25th. We're going to have the raffle later. I'll reveal the winner later today after the episode gets dropped at around noon. So stay tuned for that. You're as cold as ice You're willing to sacrifice our love Hello everyone, welcome to the Ice Cold Takes podcast. I'm your host Joey DiMeglio and this week marks episode 100 of the podcast. In honor of the milestone, I'm pleased to be joined by a very special guest on this week's show. Vince Bercogliano, thanks so much for returning and joining today. Vince, how are you? Good, Joey. How you doing, man? I appreciate you being patient with me the last couple of days and, and finding a time that worked for both of us here. Doing great now that you're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I uh, I didn't really get dressed up for the occasion, but uh, congratulations on 100 episodes. That's more than we've done, so you, uh, you must be doing something right. Once a week, every week, uh, every Saturday, we try and put them out there and, you know, I enjoy uh, talking about the Rangers, as I'm sure you do. I mean, uh, you're a reporter for the team. Uh, Certainly a lot to talk about this year. Deep run for the Rangers, Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, but first, I got to ask you, the flow with your hair. Was that something <laughs> you committed to because of the pandemic, or was that something that you planned on doing anyways? No, I, I definitely committed to it because of the pandemic. My, my barber shut down at first, so it was kind of by necessity, unless I was going to have my fiance cut my hair, which she's never done, so I wasn't going to go down that road. And... uh you know, as it went on, like the longer it got, I was like, you know, I've done it a couple of times in the past. I did it when I was in college. I did it again in my late 20s. Uh, that was actually the second time was spurred because my mom is a breast cancer survivor. And when she was diagnosed, I had done, every time I've done it, I try to donate the hair. And so when I was when she was diagnosed, it was kind of like a running joke that she was like, you know, if I have to use a wig, if I have to go through chemo, which thankfully she didn't, she only had to do radiation and surgery, but she was like, if I have to go through chemo, I'd rather have your hair than a stranger's hair. So that was kind of like the running joke. And so I donated it the first, uh, the last time that I did it. And that's what I'm going to try to do again. I definitely want to do that at some point this summer, because as you can see, it's really long and it's pretty hot out right now. So Mm -hmm. it's not the most comfortable thing. So, uh, I definitely at some point soon, 
I'm hoping in the next month or so we'll we'll try to take it off and donate it. So it's been a good run. It's been over two years since my last haircut, but I think it's time now. Good for you. And you're giving Miko's advantage at a run for his money with the flow. I got to say, I think, yeah, Mika keeps his a little nicer than I do. I think Mika has uh, more of a consistent barber or whatever he does. I, I, I would say I'm longer than his now, but you know, he's, he's, he's obviously, I think <laughs> puts a little more effort into his than mine, I would say. And uh, speaking of the Rangers, whenever I interview a reporter or a writer for the team or for hockey, I always ask, you know, how did you get started with your career? What made you want to cover hockey and the NHL? Yeah, so I I would say my career has been all over the place. I've covered any sport. I mean, really, you name it, I've probably covered it. I started as a high school sports reporter with Loha.com, the Journal News, and did a variety of stuff. I ended up like one of my first assignments, I'll give you an example, was wrestling. And I had never wrestled. I knew nothing about wrestling. But it ended up being kind of a fun assignment for me, a really, really exciting challenge because I had to dive in and learn a lot about a sport that I knew nothing about, which I felt like made me a better reporter and a better writer. I did that for several years. I did a lot of baseball. I, I bounced around quite a bit. And as I kept kind of you know getting promoted here and there and moving up the ladder, I ended up in a management position for a short period of time. I ended up doing a lot of investigative type of stuff. And ultimately, that led me to this opportunity which was when they came to me and said, would you be interested in covering the Rangers? Now, the Rangers are a team that I I can be honest with you, I grew up rooting for. I would say my three favorite teams as a kid were Jets, Yankees, and Rangers. So football, baseball, and hockey were the sports that I watched the most growing up and the sports that I enjoyed following the closest from a fan's point of view. Now, in the last 10 years, because I've covered all these different sports, I I would definitely consider myself not very much of a fan. I think it kind of desensitizes you to rooting interest and all that kind of stuff. Now, what I'm just looking for is good stories. I love, I'm fascinated by the inner workings of the organization, the front office, roster construction, prospect stuff, you know, salary cap, all the ways that a team is built. I'm really fascinated by that. And I've thankfully gotten to know some people and gotten to learn a lot about that process in the last few years. And it it became a really great fit. I I can't sit here and tell you that hockey was my number one sport growing up. It was a sport that I really enjoyed watching and was into, but I love all sports. So I'm a guy who, depending on the season, that probably dictates what I'm watching. And and this to me has ended up being a great fit because it's a team that I was interested in my whole life. So I know a decent amount about the history of the franchise. And now in the last three years, I've, I've just dove in head first and gotten to know as much as I can about every aspect of the organization. So it, it's been a really cool fit, a really exciting thing for me to do. Working at Madison Square Garden has been a dream come true for me. And uh, it's been fun. And, and each year, I feel like the coverage gets a little bit better. I'm really hopeful for next season with what it sounds like. We'll be back to open locker rooms. I mean, that's been a challenge the last two years. I started my first season on the beat. And we were able to walk into the locker room on a daily basis and talk to any player you wanted. And that was a really cool way to get to know guys, a really cool way to tell unique stories. And I think maybe get to know guys a little bit more on a personal level and talk about their individual journeys or any adversity that they had overcome or, or what it took for them to get to this highest level, because these are the best of the best in the world. And the last couple of years, while I do feel 
that I've gotten to know the organization a lot better, probably developed some better sources. I think been able to have better knowledge of every aspect of what the Rangers are trying to do, whether it's off-season decisions, in-season decisions, all of that. But what I'm hoping for next year is being able to blend that knowledge that I've collected in the last few years with now being able to once again have those one-on-one conversations with the players and and get to know them a little bit better and then be able to show their personalities and inform my readers and anybody that listens to the podcast or whatever it might be, social media, give them better information as far as, you know, where these guys came from and what they're all about. So that's my long winded answer of, of how I try to do the job and how I ended up doing the job, but it is without a doubt a job that I love. In terms of content and coverage, there's been no shortage of that over the past two years for the Rangers. And I wanted to talk to you about last year, last season, towards the end, you know, the Rangers, James Dolan made the crazy decision, whatever you want to describe it as of firing president John Davidson and general manager, Jeff Gorton. Talk to me about that transition from Gorton to Drury last year. Was there as much pandemonium in the room for the presser as there was on Rangers Twitter? Yeah, well, we weren't in the room when that happened. That was still so last season was or two seasons ago at this point. Now, the the, uh, 2021 season was Zoom only. So that was a really weird season in and of itself, because even when we talked to Drury or when we talked to at that time, David Quinn or any of the players, it was all over Zoom. So you're getting information like I found that out by a text. So I, I got a text that this was starting to go down and it completely caught me off guard. I think it caught everybody who covers the team off guard because we had seen the Rangers really show a lot of patience throughout that rebuilding process. And it felt like they were starting to turn the corner. You could see the improvement every year. It felt like they were on the cusp of being a playoff team, which I think we all thought was going to be the goal for this past season, no matter who was in charge. And so it really it really caught a lot of us off guard. It definitely threw me for a loop because I think, especially in the case of Jeff Gorton, when you look at his track record here, I think there's a lot more good than bad. Of course, you could find a trade or you could pick a draft pick. There's definitely a few of them where, where they missed on. But I think that more of his moves were positive than negative. And obviously you see the team that he you see the the position that he left the team in with the talent that they had. I mean, this team that went to the Eastern Conference final this year was largely built by Gorton. So I still think it was a highly questionable move. I I talked about this on my podcast for the wrap up of the season because it was a question that was submitted. Are the rain was it the right call? Was the question to fire those guys and bring in Drury and bring in Gallant. I think in a lot of ways you could say, yes, it was the right call because you could look at the success that the team had this year and you certainly can't begrudge the job that Drury did. I think especially when you look at what he did at the trade deadline, he identified the right pieces and really put the Rangers in the best position to succeed. But I also do believe that Jeff Gordon set the team up for this, built the foundation, and I do believe that he understood that there were certain aspects to this roster that needed to be added. I think he fully was aware that they needed to become a tougher team. You know, they kept using that phrase harder team to come uh, to play against. I think he was absolutely planning to go out and try to acquire a guy like Barclay Goudreau. I I think that he had positioned the team to do that. That was sort of the final step for them to become a real contender. So I don't know that I can sit here and tell you that they wouldn't have gone this far 
had they kept Gorton in place, I think there's a decent chance they would have. But then on the other hand, you have to look at what Drury did in his first season and, and view it as definitely a success. There's no other way to view it when you're one of the final four teams alive in the league. So I, I think Drury did a solid job as the GM in his first year. I think you could look at his first offseason and say, okay, well, you know, getting Gaudreau was definitely a step in the right direction. You could nitpick that contract for sure. But I think that he sent a message with a move like that and getting guys like Ryan Reeves. I think that really helped establish a winning culture for the lead, for the for the uh, locker room. But then at the same time, I know people will point to the Pavel Buchnevich trade and say, well, you know, what was that all about? It probably should have gotten more for as a return for him. I do think in the Buch trade in particular, you can understand what the organization was trying to do. They knew and we're all aware of it now because everybody has been talking a lot about the salary cap crunch that this team has. We knew that this team was not going to be able to afford giving him a long-term contract. So they viewed it. And, and this is what I was told by multiple people last summer. They viewed it as a necessary evil. They wanted to trade him and get something for him. And they did really view Sammy Blay as a player that would help them become a tougher, more physical, gritty team. And, and then they got the second round pick on top of that. Ideally, would they have liked to get a first round pick? Yes. I was told they, they tried and could not do that. So that's a trade where you could nitpick. I absolutely believe if they had Booch on the roster this year, they would have been a better team. But you also would have been looking at losing him as a free agent and losing him for nothing this summer. Because they certainly, when you look at their salary cap situation, would not have been able to afford him. So... You know, you can kind of see the reasons that they did it, but you can also look at that trade and say that it did not make them a better team. I think both perspectives are fair. Or I'm probably getting into the weeds on all this, but the the bottom line is overall, especially when you consider his trade deadline, I think Drury did a good job. The success that they had speaks for itself. But I also think that Jeff Gordon did an excellent job of laying the foundation here, and I do still look at it as somewhat of a reactionary move to fire him in particular, because I, I think he had the ship steering in the right direction with some of the moves that you saw him make in the last handful of years. Now, I'll agree with you that, you know, Drury has done a good job at the, the deadline, but it was certainly a rocky start for, for Rangers fans. Um, you know, that bootstrap rubbed people off the, the wrong way. Again, like not getting, not maximizing his value first line winger, I, I will I will tell you that I know that they shopped him around a lot and multiple people told me that they were trying to fish for they what they wanted was a first round pick and a player like play a player that they thought would solidify their bottom six bring more physicality and, and all the things that we knew they were looking to add to the lineup and that they could not fish for they were not able to get that first round pick offer that came also with a player like play who they really liked so Ultimately, they felt like getting Blay and the second round pick was the best they were going to do. And again, right or wrong, they did not want to go into the season with Booch as sort of a lame duck, knowing that they wouldn't be able to resign him. So I've had people say to me, well, they could have just moved Booch at the trade deadline to get something for him. But they were a contending team. They weren't going to they weren't going to trade away pieces. They were looking to add pieces at this deadline. So I think from their perspective, right or wrong, trading Booch last summer was the only way to go because otherwise they, they felt like they would have lost him for nothing the summer after that. But again, I, I can't sit here and tell you that having Booch on the team this year wouldn't have made them better. It definitely would have made them better. Would, they, would it have made them better than Tampa? Would Booch have been the difference in that series? That might be a stretch, but he, he would have made them a better team this season, no doubt. So you could look at it both ways. You could say, 
I would have rather had him this season to, to make the roster the best it could possibly be. Or you could say, well, he wouldn't have been good enough to get them over the hump anyway. And at least they got something for him while they had the chance. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess, I guess that will be a debate that probably goes on with Rangers fans for a long time. Regardless of if it would have made the Rangers a better team or not, the Rangers still had a very successful season, in my opinion. You probably think the same. Eastern Conference Finals, I don't think anyone expected them, especially after last season, to make it this far and take Tampa to six games. Uh, It was a great accomplishment, but last year, I know you noted that James Dolan was not pleased with the speed of the rebuild. Would you say now that with certainty that the feeling from management Drury, Sather, James Dolan has changed. Oh yeah. I mean, there's no, I I don't think anybody is not pleased with what they were able to accomplish this season. I think everybody is feeling really good about the position that they're in right now. And yeah, I think Dolan, my sense with Dolan is that he swooped in, you know, he's pretty much been hands off with the Rangers, especially compared to what we see with the Knicks. He swooped in, to make this move that I think caught a lot of people blindsided as far as the Gorton and JD firings last year. But I think since he handed the keys to jury, it's been jury's show and jury's been the guy who's been making pretty much every call. So I think he has entrusted jury. I think jury definitely has a, a very long leash for the foreseeable future. And I think that given the success they had this season, making the Eastern conference final, that everybody in the organization is very happy with how things turned out. Do you think that now Drury feels the need to shift to a win-now mode, or is he uh, at a more of a wait-and-see, kind of trust the process, ride out the likes of Hedl, Kako, Vitaly Kravtsov? Well, he was in he was in win-now mode from the time he stepped in. I mean, you wouldn't go out and acquire Barclay Gaudreau and Ryan Reeves and, and make the moves that he made if he wasn't in win-now. I mean, the trade deadline was as win-now as you can get. He He basically treated his draft picks like candy, and went out and got four players knowing that there was no guarantee he was going to re-sign any of them. So if there was any doubt whether he was in win-now mode at the trade deadline, he, he I, in my mind, he left no doubt about it at all. They were in absolute win-now mode last season, and that will be the way that they function for the foreseeable future. They, they've only got – look at their draft this year. They've got no first-rounder, one pick in the first three rounds, and I think four picks overall. So – they are they are not the rebuild is long long gone. They are not worried about accumulating draft picks anymore. They are worried about doing what they can to win now. And, and they tried that last season, made a nice run out of it and, and next season they are absolutely looking to get back to where they were and and ideally I'm sure fur, further. So, yeah, win now mode is absolutely the mindset. I think what stood out to me the most at that trade deadline was to get cop Mott, and Vitrano and, and Justin Braun even, he didn't have to give up Nils Lundqvist or Vitaly Kravtsov. The most, the biggest player that they gave up was Morgan Barron. And, you know, that kind of stood out to me because in previous years, the Rangers had, you know, they dished out Anthony Duclair. They got rid of all their first round picks. But this year they got, they bought, but at a low price. And that, that stood out to me. And I, I like that from Jury. I don't know how you felt about that. Probably the same. Well, I, I think if you look at the Vetrano and Mott deals, only giving up fourth round picks for those guys was those are absolute bargains. Cop ends up being a first round pick, a second round pick, a late round pick, and Morgan Barron. That is a lot to pay for a guy that they might not even re-sign. I think they gave up a lot for him. Now, 
Was it worth it? I, I can't sit here and say no. I think it was worth it. I think cop of the options that were available to them, realistically available to them at the deadline, I think cop was the best fit. So I don't begrudge him at all. Again, I would say he had an excellent trade deadline, but I wouldn't say that they didn't give up much for cop. I think they gave up quite a bit for cop. I I will add this though, to your point, I was told that they valued holding on to their prospects much more than they valued giving away draft picks. They feel that their prospect pool is still in really good shape. Now center is a glaring need. I think center, and I wrote about this a little bit for a story that went up yesterday. Center is still, I think, the biggest void in their prospect pool. They don't have a lot or really any surefire NHL players in their pipeline at center, but they're really deep at wing. They're really deep on the blue line, and they're in good shape at goalie, obviously, because they have Igor. And Dylan Grand is a guy that I've heard a lot of good things about, especially this season, and I know they're really high about. So, The prospect pool is still in pretty good shape and they feel like some of those guys, guys like Brennan Othman, Will Cooley, Dylan Garand, some of the blue line prospects, we've already seen Braden Schneider and Keandre Miller break through. They feel like a lot of these young prospects are going to be impact guys on this roster in the next year or two. So they prioritized holding the prospects and trading the draft picks. And we saw him execute that plan. So they, I think, aren't so worried about who they're going to select in the draft. I mean, this year, like I said, they only have four picks, only one in the first three rounds. They held the prospects. Now it's going to be interesting to see what do they do with those prospects because you're not going to be able to play them all, especially when you look at the defensemen, whether it's Lundquist, Zach Jones, Matthew Robertson, Hunter Skinner. I mean, they basically, of their six spots for defensemen on the NHL roster right now, five of them are locked in. You have no doubt about Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, Keandre Miller, Jacob Truba, Braden Schneider. Those four, those five guys, barring something completely unforeseen, are going to be on the opening night lineup. So the sixth spot is the only real question mark. And I believe that they will and I believe that they should give, whether it's Jones or Lundquist or Robertson, a real chance to win that job at a training camp. Once you fill that sixth spot, what are you doing with the rest of them? Just stashing them in Hartford for the for their foreseeable future? To me, the longer you let them sit there, the more their value is going to deteriorate. So I think at some point, and I do believe that they're going to really exhaust some possibilities this summer, you got to trade from an area of strength to address an area of need. And if they can use one or two of those blue line prospects Maybe another prospect, maybe a guy like Vitaly Kratsov or whoever it might be down down further in the pipeline to help them acquire a young, cheap, controllable center. I think that's something that they would be really interested in doing. So Drury was able to kind of save some some of his ammunition with those prospects. But now the question is, what is he to do with them? Because you can't keep them all in the long run. And I think he is going to be looking to strike if the right deal comes along this summer. So, I mean, the, the biggest question I'd say is, like, the who takes a spot at 2C? We have Strom, there's Strom and Kopp that are free agents. Obviously, with the cap situation, you're only able to keep one of the two. Is that a foregone conclusion that one of the two will be New York Rangers? Or is that, are the Rangers going to wait and see, maybe promote Phil Peedle and wait till next year to get another center? see how Heedle does there, or are they looking into the trade market? 
it, I know all Jury co- said like he was that's an area that he was looking to upgrade when you asked him. Yeah, well, he he didn't use the word upgrade, but he did say that it's an important position for yeah. them and something that they're they're having conversations about right now what they're going to do with it. So, Cop and Strom, it all depends on price. It, that that's what it comes down to. I, I I detailed this in a story that I wrote about the salary cap situation this week. The Rangers are incredibly tight. Like you can look at cap friendly and say, oh, I think cap friendly might have them with like eleven million in cap space. That is not the way that they are viewing it. They are viewing it where they have like roughly eight, eight and a half million dollars in cap space. And with that money, they have to re-sign Kako, which, I, by the way, I, I'm hearing could happen relatively soon. I think that they have a general ballpark figure in place. And I, I do expect Kako to get re-signed at some point this summer. So Kako, you have to re-sign. I would expect that deal to look similar to Heedle's. Heedle signed for two years at $2.3 million. And I think that that will be roughly where Kako lands as well. So that brings you down to roughly $6 million is what I wrote the other day. And with that $6 million, you need to address center and you need to find a backup goalie. So let's say the backup goalie costs about one-ish. That leaves you with five. Maybe you can squeeze a little over five to address the center position. And the question is going to be, can they re-sign either Cop or Strom for a number that's as close to $5 million as you could possibly make it? Are those guys willing to take somewhat of a hometown discount to stay here on a winning team? We know both of them really enjoyed it here. Strom in particular. Strom got really emotional on breakup day talking about how much he loved being here. But I also know this with Strom. The Rangers made a push to give him a contract extension. They wanted it to be between five and five and a half million dollars per season is what I was told. They tried for that around late November, December time, and they weren't able to get a deal done. I think part of that was years. I don't think the Rangers want to go six, seven years with Strom. I think their preference is three or four. You know, maybe they could find middle ground at five. I don't know. But they weren't able to get a deal done with Strom when they tried. And I think that was Strom's best opportunity to get a deal done. For the Rangers now moving forward, it's going to come down to what does that deal look like if they're going to try to re-sign Strom. And I do believe that if all things are equal, that Cop might be their preference. Now, the question with Cop is, does he want to test the market? I, I sense that he sort of does. And if he tests the market, what is that going to bear out for him? Is there going to be a team out there that's willing to get him closer to $6 million a year? If that's the case... He has every right, and he might decide that that's the best option for him. It also sounds like there's a, he talked about a lot of different factors. I think ideally he'd like to play center. Ideally, he'd like to have a top six role. Now, he would probably have a top six role and probably play center if he sticks with the Rangers. So would that convince him to maybe take slightly less to stay here? That is definitely a lingering question for them. But I also think that if they can't get either one of those guys at a number that they're comfortable with, that there's a real possibility that they go in a different direction. Now, what does that look like? I just talked about the possibility of a trade. Could you take a package built around, let's say, maybe Lundqvist, maybe a guy like Kratzoff, and, and go out and get somebody that you feel like is capable of being a middle six center? And if you can if you can go out and acquire one, you know you already have Heedle. Between whoever you acquire and Heedle, you can sort out who plays on the second line, who plays on the third line, but maybe that would be a cheaper alternative for the Rangers. And then if they could do that, 
maybe they could think about re-signing a guy like Tyler Mott, or maybe they could think about going out and adding another player. But the main point I'm making here is that it's tight. They cannot go out and get a center who's going to cost $6 million or more a season without finding other ways to shed salary, and there aren't a lot of options for them. I think they're going to try to move Patrick Nemeth to save a little bit of salary, but that's not really going to represent significant savings. And all their big guys, all their big contract guys, have new no or for the most part have no movement clauses or partial no movement clauses. So none of those guys are going anywhere as far as I can tell right now. So the Rangers and their wiggle room this offseason is really limited. So I'm I'm very curious to see what Chris Drury does. How creative does he get to fill the need at center? Because one way or another, they have to come out of this offseason adding at least one center. And and by adding that could include re-signing cop or Strom, but they have to they have to make sure that one center who's not under contract right now is on the roster come training camp but what direction do they go how can they maximize the limited cap space that they have and is there a trade or is there some other option out there for them besides cop or Strom? if the question is cop or Strom, i would maybe give cop a slight edge right now but again it comes down to price point it's those guys, they're not going to be giving them a really lengthy deal that's six million or more a year. It's going to have to be a shorter deal, three, four, five years at the most, and it's going to have to be as close to five million per season as possible. Otherwise, I do think that there, there's a good chance they could go in a different direction. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. As a fan, I I like hearing that they want to stick it to the short term because the options this year and free agency are not as good as, say, next year. Uh, now, granted, next year, there's a lot of players in there that should probably be re-signed by their their teams uh, that they're currently playing for. But there is a guy like Vinny Trocek this season, this offseason. Is there any, any chance like they're looking at him? I, I think he's a guy who fits what they want. They would like him. But again, price matters here. Can he made four, I think, 0.75 last year. He's, he's not going to resign for that. He's obviously going to get a raise. How big of a raise is he looking for? Could they get him for a number in the low fives? Maybe that would be of interest. But, I, you know, that's a guy who's probably going to be looking for a long-term deal, too. I think the fit is there. I think from the perspective of speed, forecheck, being able to produce some points, being a solid defensive center, being a guy who wins a lot of faceoffs, there's a lot there to like about Trocheck, but price matters. Again, you know, you're talking about next offseason too. Next offseason the Rangers are going to be even tighter because the cap isn't expected to go up all that much and they're going to have to give Lafreniere and Miller new contracts. And I just said all they have is about 8 8.5 million to work with right now for this offseason and that's to re-sign Kako and find a center and find a backup goalie. So the Rangers are going to be financially very very limited the next couple of years. So my advice to Rangers fans would be don't start dreaming about big free agent additions. Yeah. You got your big free agent addition with Artemi Panarin and the Rangers aren't going to have much wiggle room to do a whole lot as far as big free agent splashes. I think 
trades are going to be more likely for them to, if they are going to change the makeup of this roster. But I think the most important thing moving forward is going to be growth from the young players, because if you can't go out and, and sign big impact players, how does this team get better? Well, they get better if Lafreniere makes improvements, if Kako makes improvements, if Heedle makes improvements, if Keandre Miller and Braden Schneider continue to grow. That is the path forward for this team because they're not going to go out there and, and you know make a big signing, whoever it might be. You can dream about all these different names, but they're not in a position to do that right now. Okay. And speaking of Panarin, I saw, I heard a, about a report from Arthur Staple saying that Chris Drury was vocally upset about his play in the, the playoffs. I mean, he had, I think it was 16 points in 20 games, but there were times where it seemed like he wasn't himself. Is there any truth to that report and that Panarin might request a trade or is that like not going to happen? I Panarin is not going anywhere. <laughs> that is not, I mean, I will be shocked, 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 shocked. If he were to get traded, I have gotten no sense of that whatsoever. So I, I I mean, I'm not trying to disparage other reports. I haven't read it. I don't know exactly what, what Arthur wrote or what he said, but uh, Panarin in my estimation and from what I've heard is certainly he has a no movement clause. He would have to agree to a trade somewhere. And, and I do not, he, he handpicked the Rangers. He took less money to come here. All indications that I've seen are that he loves being here. So I absolutely believe that Artemi Panarin will be on the roster next season. I will say that there definitely was a level of disappointment in his play in the playoffs. He expressed that. I've heard that from other people. I've written about that. I do not feel that he played his best in the playoffs this year. And he talked about that on breakup day and said, Next year, I need to be better. And he, he sounded very motivated. He said he'd like to start practicing again tomorrow. So he sounded like a guy who had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and felt like he had something to prove because he heard the questions about his play. He knew that he did not live up to his usual standards in the playoffs. You touched on it. The points were sort of there, although not at the level that they usually are in the regular season. So there was a slight dip in points. But it's not just about the points. There were way too many games where where he was just not his usual self, did not have the puck on his stick nearly as often as we're accustomed to, did not seem to have that dynamic playmaking going that the Rangers need out of him to be at their best. Their five-on-five offense was way too inconsistent throughout the playoffs, and he was one of the biggest culprits, one of the biggest reasons why. So I absolutely agree that his playoffs were somewhat disappointing and that he needs to be better for them moving forward, but do I have any questions about him being on this team next season? No, I, I fully believe Artemi Panarin will be on the team next season. And again, he has a full no movement clause. So even if they were to try to trade him, they would have no leverage whatsoever because he would be able to handpick where he wants to go. So I, I, I do not subscribe to that. I do not buy into that. I fully, fully, fully expect Artemi Panarin to be a member of the Rangers when opening night starts in October. That's Vince Mercogliano's ice cold take of the week right there. Panarin's going to be on the Rangers next season. I didn't have any doubts about about that. Um, but in, in terms of improvements for the Rangers, 5v5 play was definitely an area of weakness for a good majority of this season. What sort of, like, what's Drury trying to do in terms of, you know, upgrading there or making an improvement to address that weakness, the 5v5 
you know, zone entries were a big, uh, a big issue, but there was also the fatigue effect. I know Gallant uh, addressed that the 20 games in 40 days in the playoffs definitely had a lot to do with the lack of offense, offensive production within the last three, four games of that Tampa Bay series. Yeah, I, I subscribe to that as well. I, I do think that the Rangers looked gassed at the end of the playoffs. And I know that sounds like an excuse, and, and it is to, to, a, to a certain degree. I certainly know that players like Mika Zibanejad took exception to that and did not want to use that as an excuse. But you, you hit on it. 20 games and 40 nights, grueling, grueling games. They started that whole streak with a triple overtime game against Pittsburgh. They were dealing with a slew of injuries, Ryan Lindgren playing with a high ankle sprain, Barclay Gaudreau missing a chunk of time and then coming back and trying to play on a broken left ankle, Ryan Strom dealing with a pelvis injury that my understanding and from what he told us was really, really painful and tough to play through. Tyler Mott, we know, came back really quick from an injury, probably quicker than he would had the Rangers not been in the middle of a playoff run. So there's a long list of injuries and things that the Rangers were dealing with. Now, I think you also have to take into consideration that there's a large portion of this roster that had never come close to playing that many games. A lot of guys in this roster had never played 82 games in a season. That includes Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, Igor Shosturkin. Those guys, even though this was their third season in the league, their first two seasons were shortened because of COVID. So these guys went through a full 82-game schedule for the first time, and then they went into the playoffs where they went seven games against Pittsburgh seven games against Carolina, six games against Tampa. So they were worn down and you'd have to think and hope that they're better for that experience moving forward, that this will be sort of a, a learning experience that they can now take and, and build their stamina and, and be better prepared for it the next time around. So I, I did think that they looked gassed at the end, but I do also believe that the five on five issues cannot only be about being gassed. They, they were way too streaky throughout the season when it came to offense at five on five, and you saw the ups and downs in the playoffs. And, and what we saw a lot in the playoffs was Mika, I thought, was their best skater throughout the playoffs. And Mika was able to produce. He, he got shut down early on against Pittsburgh. He had some ups and downs against Carolina. But when he found himself, I thought, especially for the last, I don't know, uh, 15, 16 games, let's say, of the playoffs, Miko is really good. But other teams were make, were taking note of that, and their priority in each of those series, if you saw the way the Carolina or Tampa matched up against the Rangers, the priority was to shut down Mika's line. So moving forward now, what you're going to need is that second line, which in large part was ineffective with Panarin and Strom and Kopp in the playoffs, to, to step it up. Now, how are the Rangers going to balance out their top six? I think that's a really interesting question moving forward. What is it going to look like? Obviously center and who they're going to sign or who they're going to bring in or whether they're going to promote Hedl. That's a huge part of the equation. I also think that they're going to have to give serious consideration to promoting Lafreniere and potentially Kako into the top six. So to me, viewing the playoffs, you looked at it a lot of times and you felt like that kid line was actually their most effective and their most threatening line at five on five. So can you solve some of those issues by giving those guys more responsibility, giving them more ice time, moving them into the top six? I think that is going to be a route that the Rangers are going to have to give serious consideration to, because as we talked about with the salary cap stuff, it's not like they're going to be able to go out 
and sign some big impact player, or at least, you know, maybe at most one, if they can bring back copper Strom. But I, I think these are going to be issues that are going to have to mostly be solved from within Panarin is going to have to be better. And the kids are going to have to get more ice time and more responsibility and step up. And, you know, for me, I'm a little curious about would they consider building some version of the kid line and making that their second line. And then maybe considering, especially if Strom is gone playing Panarin up with Zabanajad, is that something that they might explore? It's a possibility or do they prefer to keep Panarin and Zabanajad separate? And then how do they arrange the lines? Does Lafreniere move to right wing on one of those top two lines? Does Kako fit on one of those top two lines? So there's a lot of questions for how they arrange it moving forward, but the five on five play needs to improve. The thing is you're not going to necessarily improve it by going out and signing some, some big name player. You're going to have to figure out ways from within and, and, and it mostly comes back to getting more growth from the kids. The, the kids are the, are the key to the Rangers becoming a real Stanley cup contender. Do they keep trending up? Do they get better and better and better? And we saw signs of that in the playoffs or if they can't, that's going to put the Rangers in a tough position because they don't have a lot of wiggle room beyond that. This is, this is exciting times for, for Rangers fans because we've always wanted, you know, Lafreniere, Kako, both of them to be in the top six at the same time. And to have the potential further success of the team rely on that is in itself exciting. So I can't wait to see what happens for next season. But I've been paying attention to the finals, and Colorado, to me, has stood out. Uh, they've been very aggressive, up 3-1 on Tampa Bay, which is incredibly impressive. Like That's the defending, defending Stanley Cup champions. They attack the puck carrier so well. Their forecheck is incredible, very aggressive, like I said. Is there any chance that the Rangers could adopt this style of play in the future, play with that kind of speed, or is it, is it just the Rangers being a completely different team? No, I mean, that's how Gallant wants them to play. He wants them to be predicated on speed and forecheck and doing a lot of those things. I mean, those are, he doesn't, he doesn't stress a whole lot of things. He keeps things pretty simple, but that, the, that is the style that he wants. He wants them to be an aggressive forecheck team that creates turnovers, is very physical, is very in your face. And I know that the Rangers felt like one of their biggest deficiencies this season, as you touched on, was team speed which is why they identified Vetrano and Mott and Cop because those are all, for the most part, better skaters than a lot of the guys the Rangers have in this lineup. If you look at their lineup, how many plus skaters do they really have? Kreider obviously falls into that category. Heedle falls into that category. Mott definitely is, is, is a good skater, but you don't know if he's going to be back. Vetrano brings some speed. Cop, I think, is, you know, he's not as quite as speedy as Vetrano and Mott, but I think he's a pretty solid skater as well. But overall, the Rangers, top to bottom, speed is not necessarily their strength, which I think makes it hard for them to really play that style. And I think that's a question mark moving forward is how can they add more speed into that lineup to become a better forechecking team and to execute Gallant's system a little more effectively. So that's interesting because we keep going back to this. They, they, it's not like they're in a position to go out and sign a lot of guys. So how do you get better in those areas? You know, they're hoping maybe some of their prospects will help in that regard. They're hoping guys like I know Lafreniere said this on breakup day, that his number one goal this summer is, is going to be to improve his skating. And, and I thought actually that he looked like he had a little more jump 
in his step in the playoffs. And I thought he was actually pretty effective on the four check, but yeah, Colorado's a different animal and, and the Rangers given their current makeup probably aren't going to be able to match a team like that. So they're going to need to get creative and find ways to potentially beat a team like that. If they get to that level, obviously Igor will be the X factor. If you continue to have the best goalie in the world, that will help you maybe overcome some depth issues or some speed issues or playing a team like Colorado that, that, you know, at least given what we see right now is clearly a better team than the Rangers from top to bottom, but it, it will come down to can Igor steal you some games in a big spot, which we believe that he can. And can you find little ways to add more speed and can you continue to get growth from the kids? And, you know, a lot of things have to go right for them to become a championship team. They, they're clearly, they've risen to a level where they are in the NHL's upper echelon, but going from, one of the NHL's better teams to the NHL's best team is a major, major jump. And when you don't have a lot of salary cap space, you know, they're going to need a lot of things to fall into place for them for to, to actually get to that level. And that's going to be the intrigue for the next few years. Another thing the Rangers don't have is a captain. And there's been lots of like debate over the past year since the, they announced their six alternates at the start of this season. But is there any updates, any word on what's going to happen for next year with captaincy? No, no. Uh, <laughs> Gallant and Drury were both asked this. It's The answers are always the same. It's, oh, we're going to talk about it. We'd like to have a captain, but we don't feel like it's an absolute pressing need. And, you know, onward and onward they go. So it was not, you know, I think it was, it's much more of a thing that I think that fans talk about than the, the players inside the locker room talk about. I think they liked the arrangement this year. There wasn't one guy who had all the pressure on his shoulders. And I think a lot of different guys shared the leadership responsibilities. I, I still do believe that Chris Kreider is the guy that teammates look to the most to lead. If you watch the way that he speaks to the media, if you look at some of the things and I know this is hard to look at, but I know behind the scenes, he's a guy that takes a lot of young players under his wing. His voice carries a lot of weight in that locker room. So Kreider to me was sort of the de facto captain this season. But I also know that especially when it comes to the defenseman group, Jacob Truba is a guy who steps up and speaks a lot. Ryan Strom made a point of saying this about Truba that he's a guy that I think, you know, in their team group chat or when it comes to organizing guys or voicing concerns that players might have to the coaching staff, that Truba is a guy that I think takes the lead on that quite a bit. I think Truba is a guy that if something needs to be said during intermission, he's a guy that will willingly stand up in front of the room and speak. So Truba has also elevated himself as a leader in the last few years. Mika is more of a quiet leader, but I know that there's a tremendous amount of respect for him in the locker room. I think Strom is a guy who's a really underrated leader. And I think especially is a guy that's really good at keeping things loose in the room. I think he's a guy who teammates look to for a little humor and to sort of, you know, if things are, if there's a lot of adversity or if there's things that maybe aren't going their way, he's a guy who can sort of put things in perspective and make sure that things aren't too tense. So I think there's a lot of guys that have a lot of different roles. And I think that the team really likes that. I think that these guys really enjoyed the setup this year. And I think that that's a consideration for the Rangers as well is, is there one guy who they want to put that burden on, who they feel like can handle the weight of everything that comes with wearing the C. And that's a conversation they're going to continue to have. And, 
you know, quite frankly, I, I don't think that given the success that they had this season, that they see it as, as a make or break thing moving forward. So could they have a captain next season? Sure. Do they think it's a necessity or would I be surprised if they don't have a captain? No, I, I, I think that there's at least somewhat of a chance that they could keep the arrangement the same next season. And, and I don't think that they look at it as one of the, the number one things or top things on their to-do list. I think that they were, they were fine with the way that it worked out this season. So there might be a captain next year, but there also might be another six alternates. Yes, which is what they've been telling us for the last four years. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to make a bold prediction on that one because I, I, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Right. Uh, one last question for you. I know you enjoy your sandwiches before before games, during pregames. Um, I work at a pizzeria, and I guess I could bring this back. I used to, Last summer, I, I always had, like, one of these stories every single know episode every week where i talk about something that happened at said pizzeria and um i wanted to get your thoughts on this so someone uh ordered a chicken parm sandwich but with lettuce tomato and onions and uh, i mean to me as an italian you as well as an italian to me that's just that's like inexcusable you can't have lettuce tomato onions on a on a sandwich like that your thoughts yeah i wouldn't i i certainly wouldn't do that i i'm not like so I'm weird with my sandwiches. I really like, especially on a cold sandwich, I like the lettuce. I like the crunch of it. I, a lot of times I'll go onion or roasted red pepper. I'm not a big sliced tomato guy on my sandwiches. I don't know, you know, if they're super fresh, like, you know, my grandfather grows them. Like if it comes straight out of his garden, I'm, I'm there for it. But like a lot of times, you know, if you go to a deli, you get a, you get a tomato. It's like a little too soggy. Like I don't, I don't need all that on my sandwich. I'm not a big tomato guy on my sandwich, regardless of what it is, but I would never get anything like that on a chicken parm. I, were you the one who sent me something about, uh, I don't know. Some crazy toppings on a pizza. It was like yes, pineapple. And that yeah, was, that was, I, I don't do for don't that, that is, that is more egregious to me. I would, ne- I do not <laughs> do the fruit on my pizza thing. My fiance is from Maryland, not Italian, does not, you know, doesn't really, like, she loves pizza, but like I've had to help her learn what good pizza is versus, you know, not so good pizza. Cause she's always been of the mindset that all pizza is good. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it works. And she likes the Hawaiian pizza, which has been a huge, huge wedge in between us because she is, we are not allowed on my watch. You cannot order that. So that yeah. is a big no, no. And you know, it was, if, if you missed it on Twitter, it's a customer basically orders his pie every week. It's a small pie with tomatoes, broccoli, no sauce, and it's, like, well done. And, you know, tom- tomatoes, broccoli, and pineapple on, on that pizza. Yeah, no, no, no. The-, the pineapple is what really does it to me. Like, yeah. I can I can mess around with some different toppings. I, li- I like to experiment a little bit, but no fruit on my pizza. Right, yeah. To- yeah, broccoli, or um, not broccoli, uh, pineapple, definitely not. For, for me um well anyways that wraps up episode 100 of the ice cold takes podcast vince so thanks so much for hopping on and doing this with me really appreciate it yeah joey no problem thanks for having me man hey rangers fans thank you so much for listening to the ice cold takes podcast this week make sure you follow at ice cold takes pod on twitter to stay up to date with the latest rangers info see you all next week. time you don't have to go home but you can't stay here No!